Welcome back to the show. This is Caitlin, producer of the Rural Futures podcast with Dr. Connie. Subscribe where you listen so you don't miss an episode and keep that feedback coming on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Rural Futures. Thanks for listening. I always say just because you're from a small town in the middle of Nebraska doesn't mean that you still can't have a global impact. And again, with kind of that hard work that you've learned and, and you've put in you, and you've seen your parents do and, and their parents, it's just very valuable for your business life. Rural Futures, the podcast where we connect thought leaders and doers at the intersection of technology and what it means to be human. Every episode, we talk with entrepreneurs, researchers, and achievers to create impact for generations to come. And now, here's Dr. Connie. Welcome to another episode of the Rural Futures Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Connie Reimers-Hild. And with me today is Dr. Tyler Ideas. He's an international expert that connects farming, food, and health in very unique ways. And so we're very excited to dig into the fact that He's choosing to build this life in rural Nebraska, but really teaching globally and being invited to do so. So, Dr. Ideas, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Now, tell us a little bit more. I know I have a lot here in this introduction. You know, you teach uh, globally. Mm -hmm, You're mm -hmm. teaching a lot of postgraduate and postdoctoral work to people in health, but in a very unique way. Can you explain a little bit what that means? With the continuing education or the postgraduate and postdoctoral work, uh, what we're doing is um, uh, we're working with some uh, kind of new cutting edge ideas that just haven't been exposed across the world yet at this point. Specifically for me, it's brought me to, you know, places all over the United States and Canada, uh, into Europe, China. I'll be going to Taiwan uh, later this year. Uh, So it's been a neat experience. It's been neat to listen to different people and their experiences, both in clinical practice, um, but also from, you know, kind of just a healthcare standpoint as well and the different systems that people work in as well. Yeah. Now tell us exactly what yeah. you're teaching. Tell us like yep. why and why do you think it's grown in this popularity? Yeah. Yeah. This is a this is a program on the right. future and you're yeah. kind of on the cutting edge yeah. of, yeah. of this emergence. So this is a rehabilitation approach for for people with different types of musculoskeletal disorders and diseases. So we might be uh, working with things from low back pain to headaches, knee pain, hip pain, But then in addition to that, it's very popular in strength and conditioning and performance from all levels to youth to, you know, collegiate and professional athletes, people that are working with with those types of clients, finding this information really, really valuable. And I know you're a doctor of chiropractic medicine, mm-hmm, correct? Mm-hmm. But you've really expanded beyond that right, to really right. connect not just the chiropractic, but really those health outcomes right, and right. connecting that back to food right, and right. health. I, I do have a background in chiropractic, but the way that I practice that is is very, very different probably than what most people right. think of. I consider it more of uh, being a specialist in physical medicine. And if we look at the definition of physical medicine, it's the treatment of different types of diseases, musculoskeletal issues through rehabilitation, nutrition, manipulation without the use of drugs or surgery. So then when we kind of look into the agriculture or the nutritional part of things, there are points where what we eat, what we grow has a huge effect on our health as well. Yeah. Okay, so I think we need to right. dive into that because yeah. you're originally from Philly, Nebraska, yeah. and that mm-hmm. is Philly with an F. 
Yes, <laughs> right. yes, so Philly with an F. We want to get the, the right size Philly. And yeah. how big is Philly, Nebraska? So Philly, at this point, I, w- I would guess is about 100. And then it's just kind of, you know, it's as as uh, we're seeing common in rural, the, right. the population is, you know, declining. And so I think we're probably down to around 100 people at this point. Yeah. Yep. So I've seen the decline, but you've yep. chosen to really take yep. your expertise, but also continue to farm and yeah. link this food and yeah. positive health, health outcome piece together, which is very rare right. and unique. A lot of right. people talk about it. You're doing it. So tell us a little bit about your farming background as right. well. Right. So growing up on a farm, I, I always tell people, you know, when you grew up outside of Philly, there was uh, about three things that you did. You farmed. You worked hard and played basketball. Those, those were the big things. And it, it wasn't as much football because we were all harvesting, you know, sure during the fall. Sense. But then when that was done, then we uh, then we played basketball. So the values and stuff that you can learn from the farm, the hard work, as well as sports and the competition and giving out, getting out of your comfort zone has really taught me a lot. And I use those, you know, all the time and how I approach clinical practice and education and, and farming as well. Well, I love how you've really chosen to create your own future by mm-hmm. taking that background of the sort of love and passion of sports and being active mm-hmm. with agriculture and medicine and right. really combine right. that to create yourself as an international expert yeah. and and really a cutting edge leader in terms of how we can forge a different future in yeah. health. So, Dr. Ideas, I'd like to dive into a little bit about your philosophy as a leader, because mm-hmm. obviously you're forging a new path. You're taking that future and you're creating it mm-hmm. one day, one class, you know, one idea at a time. And that takes a lot of guts and courage yep. to do in our society. So tell us a yep. little bit about your leadership philosophy. I guess several kind of things that that I that I think about. Um, one of the big ones is always to get used to getting out of your comfort zone, right? And so I think that if we're, you know, if we're just kind of always comfortable and, you know, doing the same thing and and, and not getting out of our comfort zone, it's hard to really be a leader. You know, it's hard to do new things. It's hard to really truly make change. Eventually, you just have to be comfortable with getting out of your comfort zone. In addition to that, um, you have to be willing to put in the, the work Right. right to make things make sense and have them be successful and so I was recently watching an interview with Kobe Bryant and and he was kind of just talking about how there's kind of a standard in the NBA on okay players might go in and work out a little bit then they rest or you know and then they go to practice and and then that's kind of their routine and so then he kind of thought about well, how can I do more? So he thought then he would get up earlier, he would do workout, shoot, whatever, rest, and then kind of do the normal routine. And so he said then that was a, an extra couple hours a day. And, and he said in, in one day, it's not a huge difference. In one week, it's not a huge difference. Even in one year, it's not a huge difference. But then if you do that year after year after year, then you're really starting to kind of create a gap, you know, and, and then you've put in the time and the hard work. And then you can you can have kind of, I think, a clear vision for what what it is that you're trying to do. And you can be really comfortable with these new things and ideas that you're you're trying to kind of get across. 
You know, and that these are the exact type of guests we like to get on yeah. the show. Mavericks like yourself with that grit. Yeah. And you brought up that word vision, and you've yeah. also brought up the hard work and doing what it takes. So I'd like to segment now back into yeah. that vision that you have around right. blending health and food and, and yeah. physical activity right. together. You know, obviously as somebody that's still involved in farming and somebody that uses conventional farming practices, and then also somebody who works in a clinical setting, and I love research and I read all the time and, and read research and then firsthand having these experience with patients, there's some real questions that come about and that we have to ask ourselves. And so, for example, I have a patient recently that I was seeing for just kind of this generalized neck, shoulder area pain and tension. And, and she had received some really great care from different types of medications to injections to physical therapy to chiropractic and, and, and the different types of modalities and things that, that exist within without a lot of success. And so as we kind of dug into her history and figuring out why the heck this is going on, one thing we eventually found out was her large consumption of soy products because really? she ate a vegan diet. And so she was getting her protein through that source. So as we know, and as we've seen through a lot of research, that can be a food that people are really sensitive to I've read these days, that, right. right? Where you hear on one end, it's a, a major health benefit, but on right. the other end, you're saying right. it can also be something else right. depending right. on the person. So then in her case, we removed that from her diet and that was enough to clear up her wow. symptoms. So again, we just have to ask that question if why would that be? You know? To me, that's really powerful because I think oftentimes, you know, healthcare itself is estimated to be a $3 trillion right. industry, many groups trying to disrupt it at this point in time and take a different approach. Yeah. Or, you know, you yeah. know, some people are even saying, you know, it's really focused on sick care rather than health right. care. Right. Right. And just that story, a very powerful sto story right. that you told, you're trying to go back and say, okay, we can use all these different modalities and they're mm -hmm. all, they all have a place, mm -hmm. but we mm -hmm. also have to go back and find the story, right. the real story right. and find out what's going on what's really maybe causing the right, challenges right. so we can get to resolution, right. not just a, right. a short-term fix. That's exactly right. When we're talking about the resolution, I think it's very important for multiple reasons. Number one is obviously it's good for the person, but then at the end of the day, it can ease some of the burdens of the cost on Absolutely. the healthcare system. And again, some of the interesting experiences I've had being in, in different countries and talking to different people in these, in these different healthcare systems, the one thing that I found is no matter where I'm at, it's expensive. So for example, here we have private insurance, you know, high deductibles, high premiums, and so on. So it's expensive. In the Czech Republic, for example, whose government healthcare system, one scenario is maybe you go into the hospital for a traumatic brain injury and you're kind of allowed a certain amount of time and rehabilitation and then when that time is up then that's it that your time is up so then at that <laughs> point you have one of two options number one you're done with care right or then you go to a private place and pay out of pocket 
So then in those scenarios, they're paying very, very high taxes. And then at the end of the day, then they're going to be paying out of pocket as well. So again, at the end of the day, it's just sick people are expensive and it has to get paid for one way or another. And so if we can do things, you know, in an agriculture and growing food and growing food, that's going to be really healthy for people to prevent certain things, I think we're all going to come out ahead. And I think at that point, when just the overall population is a lot healthier in the scenarios where people do need help or there is some sort of trauma, there's just going to be such an abundant amount of available money and funds that it's not such a burden for us to then help those people out. So you can really see this from a place of abundance as well. It doesn't have to be sort of the scarcity model where there's not enough. Right. Rather, in the future, we could actually forge a path that if we had health on the front end, yeah. there would be care for those because people are still right. going to need it. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. There's no one perfect system, but we could evolve the model yeah. if we chose to. Yeah. How do you see the future of food and health coming together? Yeah. I'm not trying to say that that we stop conventional practices and the research and the technology and everything that, that we have accomplished. Being in a country like China, and I was in Beijing, and then we took a really neat train ride kind of through the countryside to another city called Nanjing, and you could just see the abundance of people, you know, just so, (laughs) so, so many people and all these apartment buildings that, you know, are just skyscrapers. So you just saw the mass number of people. There still has to be some type of, I think, more mass production, uh, you know, of things. So we need that. We can't get away from that. But at the same time, I think that it's okay that if we look into additional farming practices and being aware of ways to start expanding, growing things organically. And I think that also then can potentially help with um, rural growth and, and even create more opportunities within rural communities, just because those types of practices require a little more hands-on work, right. hands-on labor. We're not just going to be able to drive by with a big tractor or sprayer and just cover these mass amounts of acres. So it would return a part of farming to a little bit more of a hands-on practice, which I think would be good as well. I always say that they're talking about putting up these hydroponic plants on the ocean, right, you know, right. and these Vertical types of things. Farming. Yeah, we the, have a lot of cool to, stuff happening. To grow, you know, the, these foods and stuff. And I just think, my gosh, we have some of the best people in the world that understand how to grow things. And, and we have some of the best climates and the soils in the world right here to do that. So I, I just think there's a huge opportunity for us to, to be leaders in, in that area as well. I agree. I love reading about how, you know, they're bringing sensors and AI yeah. and drones and robotics all into agriculture yeah. to make it more sustainable. And it'd be great to bring some of yeah. that more thoughtfully and intentionally right. here to Nebraska to explore exactly what, right. what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. When I read things, and if they're somewhat controversial, then I'll read both sides. I have, you know, a stack of books at home that's all about low carbohydrate living. So no breads, no grains, those types of things. But then at the same time, I also have books that's that the title of one of them is literally called Eat Wheat. But even in that book, what it talks about is that the wheat that we used to eat 
30 years ago, the way that the bread was made without preservatives and processed, you know, and all those types of things is way, way, way different than what we're eating today. So these highly refined grains and processed that have potentially been sprayed to kill, to get in and harvest early. That's why I think we're seeing like this huge number of more urban populations having problems with our conventional farming means. This is what's a little tricky because it all gets, it all gets a little confusing. Right? Yeah. So there's a lot of information out there and it's good to read both sides and gather all that information. Yeah. But I'd love to learn a little bit more about yeah. some of the health outcomes that you've achieved yeah. by by reading and digging into both sides and how you're getting to health outcomes, positive yeah. health outcomes through that sort of questioning right. process. Right. There was a good experience that I had with a patient not too long ago. There was a young man, I think he was 22 years old, I believe. And so then he had kind of been in and out of the hospital with um, C. diff, which is just a bacterial overgrowth in the, the stomach and small intestine that just leads to some really serious health issues, obviously. Then he was given the diagnosis of ulcerative colitis and told that he would just need these infusions once a month for the rest of his life. They would have to do kind of continued blood testing uh, since this is an immunosuppressive drug. There's kind of a lot of complications and side effects that could come from that. Him and his parents were, were both very, very concerned about him Sure. Going down that road and, and they the wanted to, yeah, sense. right. And they wanted to look if there's anything else they could do, any other options. And at that point, we just ordered some, some blood tests that looked at basically different types of food sensitivities or allergies. And, and when we got those results back, we did see that he was significantly sensitive to dairy products, basically. Mm -hmm and different grains. So like gluten and gliadins, which are different proteins within a certain type of grain. And we completely took those out of his diet. We came up with a plan for him. And then over a period of a few months, uh, his symptoms were gone and he's still symptom free over a year later. And, and not, not that every single case of ulcerative colitis or Crohn's sure. or any like that can just be, you know, miraculously cleared by a few dietary changes. But like I told him in the very beginning, even if you still do need some type of medication, maybe it's a little bit less. And I don't think that anybody is going to be worse off by cutting like sugar out of their diet as he was dealing with it or if somebody else is dealing with that, just kind of their overall health can be so much better, you know. But like in his case then as well, if we think about the cost that would have been accrued oh, over a lifetime of, you know, needing those medications and those infusions would have been astronomical compared to what it is now. Well, I think even his overall well-being, you know, yeah. thinking about the cost, right. but also his quality right. of life in terms of just freeing up time yep. mm -hmm. and to have mm -hmm. that energy to go do yep. what you really want to do. Yep. Yep. It's fantastic. Okay, so you are a busy guy. I mean, we yeah. know this. So you're farming, you have a full practice, you're traveling internationally mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and really helping advance this whole connection between food, mm -hmm. you know, health, but also mm -hmm. activity and this mm -hmm. vital lifestyle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, tell us a little bit about what brings joy into mm -hmm. your life around that, mm -hmm. but also why you do everything that you're doing, because it's a lot. With the farming aspect of things, that's just, just something that, you know, I thoroughly enjoy. 
So I've made the comment before where some people go play around a golf on the weekend, you know, or whatever it might be. And I always say there's nothing in the world that beats sitting in the combine on a nice, you know, fall morning with a cup of coffee and my family that takes turns riding with me, you know, so that's just a lot of fun. I got to go there because <laughs> I know that you're married and you have yeah. two little people in your life, right, right? right? So do they get on the tractor with you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We've had many rounds in the combine with four people in the cab. So <laughs> two kids moving around and and uh, trying to yeah keep them somewhat still, but it's all it's all worth it. That's what well, makes it fun. Yeah, yeah, and I appreciate that you're really bringing that next generation yeah. of leaders along, getting this yeah. very hands-on experience out right. on the farm. That's right. so cool. So then in addition to that, the, the postgraduate and doctoral uh, continuing education, that just kind of came about uh, organically, I guess. And again, just kind of my passion for learning and, and curiosity. When I was exposed to this program, you know, I was just very, very intrigued and fascinated by it. So continued to just learn and research and dig. And, and then over a period of time, then was asked if I would be willing to be a part of the group that is teaching to expand this just because the demand is so, so, so high for this program. I've always been a curious person, and I think in clinical practice, one of the things I enjoy the most is the examination process. I spend a ton of time always on the first exam, and, and I, I always say there's literally no information that's not important. And we do all kinds of different movements and history and, and again, diet and activity and all those types of things then to finally end up at the answer of why you're feeling the way you are, what's going on. And so that's an enjoyable process as well. well I love this whole idea of you just like to explore and you like yeah. to get to the why and you are such yeah. a learner and take that deep dive in both in your practice, your teaching, but also you know, yeah. in your farming yeah. and thinking mm -hmm. about this mm -hmm. whole evolution of agriculture, right. food and health together, yeah. which is right. amazing. So what parting words of wisdom would you leave our audience with? <laughs> I think there's a few things that always stick out to me. Number one, one of my mentors told me early on when I was in school, and, and he was talking specifically to clinical practice, but, but I think we can take that outside of that world. But he said, every single patient and every single visit with every patient deserves a 10 out of 10 with your effort. And that doesn't matter if it's professional athlete or if it's grandma, for example, you know, every patient, every visit deserves a 10 out of 10. And so I kind of take that too in the way that I farm. And when I'm planting, for example, I'm going to give out a 10 out of 10 effort with the teaching aspect of things. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to give a 10 out of 10 effort for that. So I think that's something that's really important. I know I mentioned a little bit of being willing to get out, get out of your comfort zone. Absolutely. I think it is really, really important. I think that we need to embrace competition and not, not be afraid of competition, not be afraid to compete. And to truly compete, you really have to know what you're talking about. You really have to know what you're doing. And then putting at the end, those extra hours that yeah, right. And then, in, and then, right? yeah, that exactly. Work, just that, that, that hard, the hard work, right. You know, and just being willing to put in the, the, the couple extra hours that, that, that others aren't. And then again, over a long period of time, those extra hours just add up and add up and add up. Well, and I know at the Real Futures Institute, we appreciate the fact that you've designed a life where you're choosing to live rural and yeah. continuing to farm. 
but you're also expanding and you're yeah. you're an expert internationally living locally and so yeah. you're really making this life work so thank you for all you're doing yes um to serve nebraska but also get nebraska out there that's you know right. and the great work that's going on both <laughs> yeah. on your farm but in your practice right. and really helping people around right. the world i always say just because you're from a small town in the middle of nebraska doesn't mean that you still can't have a global impact and again, with kind of that hard work that you've learned and, and you've put in you, and you've seen your parents do and, and their parents, it's just very valuable for your business life. Well, I'm really excited yeah. to see what the next generation <laughs> of young farmers on your farm yeah, right. <laughs> accomplishes with all that you're teaching them as well. Yeah. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Rural Futures with Dr. Connie. Subscribe where you listen so you don't miss an episode. And tell us what you think on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Rural Futures. In episode six, Dr. Connie talks with inclusion and leadership expert, Dr. Helen Fagan. Dr. Fagan was born in Iran and has lived in three countries and five states. Through her personal experiences, she has developed an intense passion and deep knowledge for the development of inclusive leaders. And now she researches, teaches, and consults internationally in her field. Because most of the time, our biases are formed based on little information, overgeneralization. One of my areas that I absolutely love is uh, neuroscience and what we're learning about the brain and the human capacity to exclude without even recognizing that they're excluding. And so the idea is that we want to develop the prefrontal cortex in these young adults because that is where inclusion begins to take shape.